Last week, we had just the most amazing passage, it seemed like, in the Bible where we were able to talk about God's love for us. And we looked at these five rhetorical questions that Paul finishes the first half of the book of Romans with, this great majestic flourish in which he asks, can anything separate us from the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus? And the answer is absolutely not. There is nothing in all creation, in all existence, there is nothing that can hinder God from loving us absolutely, totally, and completely, and that every single one of you here this morning, me included, is loved by God fully, totally, infinitely, and completely. And that was the good news we got to look at last week. But the question for us this week, what if you feel that the love of God has failed you? What if you feel that, yes, that's a beautiful affirmation, it's very poetic and wonderful, but in your own personal life you feel like God's love has failed you? Now we've talked about how in general suffering is not evidence that God's love has failed. In fact, suffering in general is an opportunity for God to show His love in new and powerful ways to us. But what if there's someone in your life that you desperately want to see come to faith? And you've prayed earnestly and faithfully for that person. And it feels like God's love has failed because that person still refuses to believe in Jesus. Or what if you have a loved one who's walked away from the Lord and you're begging God to rip open the heavens and pour out His love in such a powerful way that there's absolutely no way that that person could ever deny the love of Jesus. But it hasn't happened that way. What do we do faced with the fact that God, we are told that God loves each of us infinitely and completely when there are people in our lives who seem to be separated from the love of God? Well, that's the question that Paul is dealing with in Romans 9 through 11. And he's using the example of the nation of Israel, his own people. Paul is a Jew. And he's asking the question right on the heels of this great affirmation that God loves everyone. He himself is wrestling with the question, if God loves everyone, why do the Jewish people for the most part, why are they separated from the love of God? Why aren't more Jews believers, Paul wants to know. Why aren't my own people accepting the love of God? And so this morning... We have the opportunity to work through that question. What about when it feels like God's love has failed using what Paul does in relation to his own people, the Jewish people? Why do so many of them seem separated from the love of God? Now, in order to answer this question, We have to step back and discuss a paradox, 
a dilemma, a question that has been present in Christianity from the very beginning. And that is the question. To what extent are things happening in this world because God has chosen them to happen this way? And to what extent are things happening in this world because humans have made choices of their own free will? It's a question, a paradox, a dilemma as old as Christianity itself. To what extent are the things going on in our lives the result of God's sovereign choosing as God? And to what extent are things going on in our lives as a result of choices that we or others have made in the present or in the past? It's the question of divine sovereignty and human free will. Part of a larger question of predestination and free will. And when we look at people like many of the nation of Israel, when we look at friends or family members who have walked away from the Lord or refused to believe in the Lord, to what extent do people believe because God has chosen them to believe? And to what extent do people not believe because they have chosen not to believe? Well, today we're going to look at that question that paradox, that dilemma, in Romans chapter 9 through 11. So please take a Bible and turn to begin in Romans 9. It's page 917 if you're using uh, one of the Bibles that you may have picked up on your way in. What we're going to do this morning, Romans 9 through 11 contains one big argument, one big discussion Paul is having about this situation, his own people, the nation of Israel, why are not more of them believers in Jesus? And so what we're going to do this morning, so as not to lose the forest because of the trees, is take these three chapters and look at this one question of divine sovereignty and human free will, to what extent are things happening in this world because God chooses them to happen that way, and to what extent are they happening because we have made particular choices. And we're going to look at it through these three chapters. In subsequent, subsequent weeks, we are going to come back to each one of the chapters and spend more time looking at some other messages that are present, but today we're taking the kind of the whole thing all at once and asking, how is it that these things, divine sovereignty and human free will, work together? And the question is, for those who don't believe, for those who've walked away from the Lord, and whether that's at an individual or on a, the scale of a country or whatever it may be, are things the way they are because God has chosen them to be that way, or because humans have made particular choices. We begin in Romans chapter 9. Paul says, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. 
Now catch the context of where Paul is saying this. He's just gotten done in Romans 8 with talking about how magnificent God's love is for us, how unstoppable, how powerful, how wonderful God's love is. But he also reveals that despite the fact that God's love is so infinitely strong towards him, he still has deep sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart. And maybe some of us are here today in the face of God's love, in the face of the fact that God's love is so wonderful and so great, that doesn't mean that all anguish and sorrow is gone yet. That Paul himself, even with the fact that God's love is so beautiful and so powerful, is still struggling mightily with things going on in this world. He's still looking around at people that he knows that he cares about, his own people, the Jewish people, and he is in deep anguish over them. And so it's okay. If there are things in your life that are causing you deep anguish and great sorrow, it's okay to on one hand proclaim the news that God loves totally and completely and infinitely and still be face to face with the fact that in this world there are some very hard things, there are some very difficult things, there are some things in which we say, but why won't that person believe? Why can't God get through to that person and look around and have deep anguish in your heart? That's where Paul's at. And that's okay to be there. But the question is, why? Why are things the way they are? Well, jump down to verse 10 of Romans chapter 9, and let's hear Paul's initial answer to the question, why aren't more Jewish people Christians, Paul is asking. Not only that, verse 10, but Rebekah's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For Scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. Now, those are some very difficult verses. We're not going to go through. There are explanations for lots of things going on in those verses. But we're simply trying to get the answer to the question, why are there some in this world who don't believe? And the initial answer that Paul gives seems very clear it's because God has chosen it to be that way lots of questions of what's going on here but the general sense as hard as it may be is clear 
God chooses to have mercy on some. He chooses to harden others. And Paul's asking the question, why are there some Jewish people who have not accepted Jesus as the Messiah? And as he dives into this question, he talks about the fact that God is sovereign, that God makes choices based on his own will. God chooses to have mercy. God chooses to harden. God chooses to do what God chooses to do. Now, we could keep reading in Romans 9. But I'll tell you, the answer doesn't change. And the verses don't get any easier. But turn over now to Romans 10. Romans 10. Verse number one. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. So Paul's still discussing this same question. Why aren't there more people from the nation of Israel who have accepted Jesus as Messiah? And he says that it's his desire, and not just his desire, it's his regular prayer that they would come to faith. Now, why, if it is all a matter of God choosing, would Paul still be praying earnestly for Israelites to come to faith? Because whatever Paul has said in Romans 9, which again, although hard, is clear, things are the way they are because God has chosen for them to be that way. Whatever he said in Romans 9 has not finished answering the question yet. And so we're still on the topic of why aren't more people of the nation of Israel believers. Paul continues in Romans 10 with that very question. Let's hear the answer in Romans 10. Keep going, verse 2. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now according to Romans 10, 
Why are there some people who have not accepted Jesus as Messiah? Because they've chosen not to. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord who will be saved. Everyone who wants to be richly blessed will be richly blessed. God's not made this difficult. He's not said you got to climb up to the highest mountain or you got to ascend up into heaven or you've got to descend down to the depths. He's made it very, very simple. It's very close to you and to me and to every human being. All anyone has to do is declare with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead and every person who does those things will be saved. And the answer according to chapter 10, why are things the way they are, is because humans have chosen to make the choices we've made. Some have chosen to believe and some have chosen to reject. Now listen, we could go on and read the rest of chapter 10, but the answer doesn't change. God's message has gone out into all the world. God has raised up people and sent them all over the world to proclaim the message that Jesus is Lord and every single person who hears that message and chooses to respond is saved. And everyone who hears that message and chooses to reject is not saved. And according to Romans 10, things are the way they are because humans make the choices that you and I make. Keep going in Romans 11. Still not done. Still the same question. All that's been said in Romans 9 and all that's been said in Romans 10 hasn't fully answered this question yet. Why are there some people for whom God's love has not reached them? Romans 11, verse 7. What then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly, they did not obtain. Still the same question. The elect among them did, but the others were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see, and ears that could not hear to this very day. And David says, may their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their, may their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. According to this section in Romans 11, why are things the way they are? Because God has chosen for them to be that way. That here again we have language about God hardening, about people's eyes being blinded. And according to these verses, why are there some who are not Receiving God's love in the same way that you or I might be because of choices that God has made. Not done yet. Keep going in verse 11. Again I ask, so still the same question. Did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression... Salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? I am speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I take pride in my ministry. 
in the hope that I may somehow arise my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Paul's trying to make his fellow countrymen envious so that they will stop rejecting Jesus and begin to accept him. Jump down to verse 22. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they, meaning the Jewish people, do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. What does it sound like from this section of Romans 11? Why are there some Jewish people who do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Because they've chosen not to believe. They're persisting in their unbelief. Now what are we supposed to make of this? Has Paul lost his mind? How is it that in Romans 9... It seems very clear that things are the way they are because God is doing the choosing. God is hardening. God is choosing to have mercy. He's in complete control according to Romans 9. In Romans 10, it seems 100% up to you and I that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, that God's message has gone out into the whole world. All day long, God is holding out his hands to a stubborn and obstinate people who are themselves making choices. In Romans 11, it's both. And that, I think, is the answer. That somehow... Both of these perspectives are true at the same time. Remember, this is one question that Paul is trying to wrestle through. And what he's doing is he's presenting two perspectives on the same event. And that from one point of view, from one perspective, things are the way they are because of the sovereign choices that God is making. But at the same time, from another perspective, things are the way they are because of the choices, the free will choices that you and I are making. This idea that somehow both of these things are going on at the same time, fits with other passages of Scripture as well. Paul referenced Pharaoh and the story from Exodus. And it's true that in Exodus 9, verse 12, which I think is the phrase that uh, Paul is at least alluding to, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said to Moses. That sounds like Pharaoh is not believing because God hardened his heart. But if you keep reading in Exodus chapter 9, you get to verse 34. When Pharaoh saw the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. 
So in Exodus 9, you have both as well. In fact, very interesting. If you take the English word hardened and look it up wherever it shows up in the NIV, it shows up 32 times. 16 times, God is the one who is doing the hardening. 16 times, humans are the ones who are making the choice. It's dead even. 16 and 16. 1 Peter chapter 2. They stumble because they disobey the message. That's a human choice to disobey the message. Which is also what they were destined for. Divine sovereignty. Same verse. Acts chapter 2. Peter preaching about the crucifixion of Jesus. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. What is that? That is predestination. That is God's sovereignty. Jesus was crucified because God the Father chose for it to happen that way. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on a cross. Why did Jesus die? Because God chose for him to die, and humans chose to put him to death. This is actually the consistent witness of Scripture. Paul's not lost his mind. He's doing the same thing that was going on in Exodus and in Acts and in 1 Peter. The idea is, is that both of these things are true at the same time. That all of the things that are going on in this world from one perspective, are the result of God choosing, predestining, foreknowing, acting in a certain way, and at the same time are happening because humans are making choices with their own free will. Now, how do you make sense of this? Well, let me give you a couple of analogies that might help. Think about the institution of marriage. Maybe you're married. You obviously know people who are married if you're not. If you think about your marriage, if you're married, how did you get married? Did you choose your spouse? Or did your spouse choose you? Did you pursue your spouse and therefore she chose you? Was she or he attracted to you and that's why you chose them? How did you get to the point of being married? Didn't both of you have to choose? Didn't both of you of your own free will have to make a choice? Yes, it's true that one of you may have been attracted first. Yes, it's true that it might have dawned on one of you first. But listen, if you ever hear a married couple tell their story of how they got married, you hear two different stories, don't you? Why? Two different perspectives on the same event. When told from the husband's point of view, he ultimately is making a choice. When told from the wife's point of view, she ultimately is making a choice. Two perspectives, one event. Another analogy. Consider the job that you currently have. Do you have that job because the company chose you? or because you chose the company. 
Maybe they put ads in the, on the internet or they, they connected you through, uh, found you through LinkedIn or somebody helped you find this job. They pursued you, but you still had to choose to work there, right? Or you may have been out looking for a job and you're trying to find one and you went to the company and you knocked on doors and you tried to make it happen. You pursued the job, but they still had to choose you, Right? Somehow, both of these things had to happen. In order to have entities with free wills, both people have to choose. And the idea is, how does anybody become a Christian? God has to choose them, and they have to choose Him. There is no one who is a Christian whom God did not choose and who did not choose God. And what Paul is doing in Romans 9 through 11, he is working through this event from two different perspectives. And from the perspective of God, God most definitely is sovereign and makes choices and does things in accordance with how he wants to do them. But at the same time, Humans have absolute free will to choose God that all day long God is hand, uh, keeping his hands extended that anyone and everyone who calls upon his name will be saved. So what should we do with this teaching? That somehow the things that are going on in our lives are both a result of God's sovereign choices and a result of the choices that you and I make? Here's the application. You and I should do what Paul is doing in Romans 9 through 11, meaning, if there's a question in your mind or a situation that you're thinking through in which it appears as if God's love has failed, if there's someone that you care about deeply who is not a believer, if there's someone who's walked away from the Lord, if there's some situation that you're going through that you think, how in the world did I get in this situation? If you're in the middle of a valley right now and you hear Romans 8 say, God loves you infinitely, totally, and completely, and you say, but I still have anguish in my heart, I still am perplexed by what's going on in my life or in the lives of others, if you have a situation like that, do what Paul did, which is essentially wrestle through that situation from both perspectives. Start with what might God be up to in this situation? How might this situation be a result of God's sovereign choosing? How might this situation be a result of a bigger plan that God is executing in this world and in history? And then, work it through from the human perspective. How might this situation have been a result of choices that people made, choices that you have made, choices that others have made? How might this situation that is causing you anguish in your heart be a result of sinful choices? And then, go back through it again from God's point of view. How might God be using those choices and those things that are happening as part of the bigger plan that he's trying to work out to bless you and to bless all people in this world? 
And then go back through it again, thinking through how might things be different if humans make, will make different choices in the future, if you'll make different choices in the future or others will make different choices in the future. This is what Paul is doing in Romans 9 through 11, and it's ju not just an interesting intellectual exercise, it's a model for dealing with difficult things where it looks like God's love has failed. You will find more scripture quotes in Romans 9 through 11 than almost any other passage in the Bible. Why? Paul is wrestling with what's going on. And it's not like, well, all the scriptures say it's God and all my feelings say it's something else. No. All of the scriptures give both perspectives and Paul is trying to wrestle through, why don't these people that I love, why haven't they come to faith? He's wrestling it through by what's God up to? What's God doing? How's God at work? And what are the choices that humans are making? What are humans up to? How is our free will playing into this? Now, I also encourage you just a piece of advice as you do this. Whichever one of those two, divine sovereignty or free will, you more naturally default to, spend more time in the other one. If you're a person who naturally thinks everything is a result of my choosing, everything is about human choice, I gotta work harder, I gotta be a better person. If you're the kind of person who's constantly thinking, if I could just get them to act this way, if I could just get myself to act this way, everything would be better. Stop and think. Why might that difficult child that you have be a result of God's plan? and not just potential failings of you or the educational system. or Maybe that child is a result of something bigger that God is doing. Maybe that child and the difficulty you're having with that child is an expression of God's love to you. Think it through from the divine sovereignty perspective. Maybe the situation that you're in at work where you're fighting so hard uh, to get a promotion or you're working so hard to, to make it work or to make the financial things uh, uh, fit together. Maybe there's something going on from God's point of view. Maybe you're in the job he wants you to be in. Maybe he placed you there. Maybe there's something going on that's part of the bigger plan of God. And if you're a person who normally defaults to it all rides on my shoulders or it's all a result of other people, if I could just get my husband to act this way, if I could just get my wife to act this way, if I could just get my friends to act this way, Think about how this might actually be going on in your life because God is sovereignly in control. Conversely, if you're a person who normally defaults to, well, it's all in God's hands. Think through how the situation might be the way it is because you need to do something different or because others are acting the way they're acting. If you're a person who says, yeah, there's lots of non-Christians at my work, but they don't know about Jesus because God hasn't chosen them to know about Jesus. Maybe they don't know about Jesus because you haven't told them about Jesus yet. Romans 10 is just as valid as Romans 9. How are they going to know unless somebody tells them? If you think this country is the way that it is because if people just would have voted for somebody different in previous elections or if people would just vote for somebody different in this election or whatever, 
Maybe this country is on the path that it's on because it's part of God's divine plan for what he's trying to accomplish in human history. That God is in charge of the rise and fall of nations and God does all these things so that at the end of time there's only one person who's glorified and that's Jesus. Maybe things that are happening in this country aren't just the result of human choices. Maybe God is at work doing something great. If you're the kind of person who says, well, I'm just, I'm an ordinary average Christian and God just told me, to, chose me to be sort of mediocre in this way and he didn't give me certain gifts and he didn't give me, maybe you haven't sought the Lord with all your heart. So the point is, whichever way you tend to default, if you tend to think everything rides on me, think through that situation. God's sovereignty is operative in that situation. Whatever it may be, a loved one who doesn't know Jesus, someone who's walked away from the Lord, marriage difficulties, whatever it may be, God's sovereignty is operative in that situation. And if you're a person who thinks, hey, it's all just in God's hands, I'm just going to get on doing whatever, he's going to do whatever he's going to do, there's nothing I can do about it. Humans have free will given to us by God. When we make choices, choose to obey, God blesses that. Choose to disobey, that brings discipline. Think it through. Now, one final sort of encouragement to you at the end of this uh, sermon. Trying to figure out how divine sovereignty and human will both work together at the same time is an interesting intellectual exercise. If you're interested in it, I would encourage you to spend time thinking about it. It's really, really fascinating to think. How in the world, in each and every situation, can God be 100% in control and it be the 100% result of choices that humans are making? You can spend a lifetime thinking that through. There's lots of very interesting theories out there. But I'll just tell you, in my own personal experience, I don't find any of them fully satisfying. Not just in theory, but also in practice. <laughs> that I get that both of these must be true. They're both equally represented in the scriptures. They're both equally present in major portions in the word. I understand that, but some days it's simply by faith that I accept that somehow God is 100% in control and somehow my free will plays into this. And there are days in which I wake up in the morning and I'm like, I'm good with it. I get it. And there's other days when things are going on and I'm like, I don't have any idea how this can possibly work. How is it that God is in control of this and it's also a result of human choices? And so if you want to engage in that intellectual exercise to think about, well, did God choose because he foreknew what we were going to do? Or are we just, did he stop kind of choosing and give us some space? Or did he only choose some things and not other things? Or is he only really concerned with Jesus and salvation and not with sort of daily? De There's lots of interesting theories out there. And I encourage you, if you want to spend time thinking about it, go ahead. And I, I seriously mean that. I think there's some great benefits of trying to think this through. After 20-some years of doing it, for me personally, 
I simply just choose to accept by faith. Just like I accept that somehow Jesus is human and divine at the same time, and that somehow God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit are all 100% God at the same time, and individual persons, that at some point my brain begins to melt, and I simply accept by faith. All things are a result of God's choosing, and somehow our free will is operative in every situation. And so I end up where I think Paul ends up in Romans 11, verse 33 and following. After he's asked this very difficult question, of which his heart is in great anguish, why aren't there more people who come to experience the love of Jesus? Of all people, why don't the Jewish people... They're the ones who've got the covenants and the, and the patriarchs and the law. Why haven't they? And at the end of all of this discussion, and he's rolled it around with, well, what's God up to? And he's rolled it around, at, well, what are the Jewish people up to? And he's given us some really, really great insights in Romans 9 through 11. And we're going to go back in future weeks and look at some of those things. But this is where he ends. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen.